Well, here we are, Jesse, again. Um, and today we'll be speaking about fasting. Um, Jesse, you're not leaving again, are you? For a moment, last time I was a bit concerned because you left. You know, the moment you found out about fasting, you decided that it was about time to go and replenish yourself with a three-day, uh, I guess, meal rations. But, uh, but here we go. Today we'll be speaking about fasting and we'll be uh, covering from Matthew 9, 14, in which the disciples of John are asking Jesus about, hey, how come your disciples do not fast? We do it. The scribes do it. The Sadducees do it. Well, everyone who we know who follows, you know, this ritual uh, is doing it. You know, and now if we move forward um, 2,000 years, Jesse, and now we apply fasting to today, you know, the question is, what does he do for us? You know, what's the power behind fasting? And are we doing it the right way? If there's such a, um, how can I say, is it a guideline to this? Because as you remember, Jesse, you know, in the Old Testament, there's one person who fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and that was Moses. And that was a supernatural fast in which he was in front of the Lord. And at that moment and at that point, Jesse, really, you don't need to eat anything. You're right there with the provider of life. But why don't you take us on to uh, Matthew 9, 14, Jesse, and kind of walk us through uh, fasting. Yeah, yeah, that's really the subject of today. Fasting, um, is that for the Old Testament or is that for those of us who are in the New Covenant, in the New Testament? And the answer is yes and yes. Now, we've been we've studied through Matthew chapter 8. We're going through Matthew chapter 9, which is really the first passage or section that has to do with the power of miracles following Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and that therefore validates what Jesus taught. Today we're specifically talking about Jesus' authority over religious observances. You know, the ceremonies and uh, the sacrifices and offer offerings given in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, are important, but specifically in one way, because they point to true holiness, which is found only in Christ Jesus himself. And so no matter how many times the Jews would show up at the temple or the tabernacle or at their home and make offerings and make prayers and fast and do all of these things without Jesus, the substance of true holiness, those were just religious works, observances. Only Jesus has the authority to bring true holiness. But let's read about it. Matthew chapter 9 verses 14 through 17 say, Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the terror is made worse. 
nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Well, Jesse, this is not the answer that we're looking for. Not at all whatsoever. Perhaps they were wanting the Lord to say to his disciples, stop what you're doing, stop with the, the bride and groom uh, mindset going here, and let's start fasting twice a week with, uh, or just like the disciples of John describes, and the Sadducees and everyone else who's doing it. Let's do it. But it wasn't like that. In fact, it is not, and Jesse's going to go into more detail when it comes to that, but it doesn't really say why the disciples of John were, were fasting. You know, there's a reason why. Now, in the Old Testament, if we look at Isaiah 58, and we go through from 1 to, to all the way to 6, and, and, and he talks to them, hey, tell my people, you know, lift your voice like a trumpet, and declare to my people their transgressions. So in a way, fasting, uh, when you were fasting, was a sign that you know you were going through a, a transformation to repent, to repent from your sins. Uh, basis, but even when you're fasting, guess what you do? <laughs> you strike, you know, with your fist of weakness. You you put your your servants to work and you treat them unfairly what kind of fast is this you're doing you know i mean it's just interesting and he says and i'm going to take it the latter part i'm taking the latter part of isaiah 58 5 and he says do you call this a fast in a day in a day pleasing to the lord is this not the fast which i choose to undo the bonds of wickedness to tear to pieces the, the ropes of the yoke, to let your press go free, and to break apart every yoke. In a way, you know, when you're going through this fasting plan here, there is a manifestation of God within you, a renewal. I mean, that's what the way I see it. Uh, now, if we go to Joel, Joel 2, uh, it talks about, you know, it, it, there is, there is a, this impending judgment against Israel. And he goes and says, and the Lord tells them, you know, hey, this, you're doing this, you're doing that. But, but you know what? He says in Joel 2, 12, he says, I, I get it. I get it. You're doing that. But on the day, in the day of judgment, you know, on this impending judgment that is coming upon you, the Lord says in Joel 2, 2.12, He says, Even now, says the Lord, turn and come to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rip your hearts to pieces and know your garments. I don't know if you remember in, in the movies uh, when you see these this, this guys just ripping their, well, tearing their clothes off, you know, as a sign of repentance and, and, and okay, here I am. But the Lord is saying, you know, hey, you know, fasting, yeah. Part of that is, I want your heart. 
So when you come to fasting, when you come with me, and not in a corporate way, in that corporate way, but just you and me, I want your heart. In a, in a, in, in a way, if you think about that, uh, what the disciples were doing, they were just having that communion. You know, there was no need to do fasting, and fasting would take place later on. And Jesse is going to go into more details. In fact, Jesse is going to tell us uh, more about the tax collector and stuff like that. Because the disciples of Christ were not even fasting. They were eating with tax collectors and prostitutes. And it was like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you evildoer, you cannot, not even fasting. But there you are eating with all these people. But Jesse is going to talk to us about that. So take it away, Jesse. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. You know, last time we, and you mentioned to this, we learned about Jesus eating with Matthew, the tax collector, and that then the Pharisees came to him and said, uh, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's interesting because they had a problem with Jesus supposedly defiling himself by eating with sinners. Hmm. Now the disciples of John the Baptist in Matthew 9 verses 14 through 17 come to Jesus and they have a problem with Jesus not eating. They think he should not be eating. He should be fasting. So immediately Jesus responds to them in terms that they understand. He talks about a bridegroom being together with the bride. And why would the friends at this point fast and mourn? Because the bridegroom is with them. Now, just before this, in John chapter 3, we find these same disciples of John the Baptist coming to John the Baptist and saying, hey, this Jesus whom you baptized is now baptizing people we're trying to reach and even some from among our midst. You see, they were playing a us-them numbers game as if Jesus was taking away disciples from John the Baptist. But John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the bridegroom collecting his bride and that the friend stands together with the bridegroom. And so now, in the same way, Jesus uses the same imagery to talk to these same disciples of John the Baptist. He's also secretly saying, yes, you know, in the same way that in Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, talks about God, the bridegroom, coming to collect people who were my people and who were not my people. In other words, both Jews and Gentiles. I am God. I have come before you. Notice in Matthew, because it's a book written primarily to Jews, Jesus usually refers to himself as the Son of Man, revealing his humanity, but not calling himself Son of God unless the Jews are immediately turned away. But by using this image of himself as the bridegroom, he is in fact saying, I am God to the disciples of John the Baptist. So it makes perfect sense. Jesus was together with his disciples, with his people, and they were eating and enjoying life. This was a time for them to enjoy a courtship with their bridegroom. But of course, Jesus was taken away after he resurrected back to heaven. Now, friends, 
we who are disciples of Jesus, followers and believers of Jesus, we still fast, but not in mourning, as if waiting for some promised Messiah to come and take back the kingdom of Israel and make it great. Mm -hmm. Because he's already come, and he came in peace and in love. We fast in expectation, joyfully, knowing that he's promised us that he will return to receive us. You know, Jesse, it's interesting you mentioned coming before the Lord joyfully when we're fasting. I can only remember when I got married and, and I was so excited about marrying my, my wife, well, my wife now, and and then that emotion that came along, it, it, an overwhelming emotion. I mean, it was heaven on earth for me. Uh, that was my experience. And I guess that's the same way, you know, when the Lord looks at us and we are his bride and he gets excited and he's excited for us, you know. When it comes to fasting, you know, Matthew 6, 16 says, and whenever you fast, don't have a sad face. Why? What do you need to have a sad face? You know, 17 goes and says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Put on, put on your best dress, girl. Put on your best suit, guy. Come on. This is the time to shine. I am fasting. Nobody needs to know because I am in communion with the Lord. And that's what it is. You know, there are no guidelines, Jesse, about how long to fast, uh, how to fast. You know, at the end of the day, what's most important about fasting is that communion and that relationship uh, that is being restored like you know like like Isaiah 58 talks about that relationship that that bond between you and the Lord that moment in which the Lord is revealing to you his love and you're just drawing from him and him from you I mean yeah you know the Lord loves to have moments with us he does you know now at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned Moses, and I'm going to go to Deuteronomy 9.9, in which Moses, he says that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And that was like, again, that was supernatural. That's the Lord giving Moses manna. I mean, he didn't eat anything else. And then we come to Matthew 4, 1. And the Lord is taken, the Lord Jesus is taken to the wilderness, and he fasted, and he fasted like for 40 days. And 40 nights, and then he's tempted. The devil comes and tries to do his best, but like always, he gets kicked out. But here is something very significant Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he brought down the law, the Ten Commandments, wisdom. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he brought life, life eternal, grace, forgiveness mercy wow that is good news guys that is wonderful uh, again before Jesse comes and closes this episode with a prayer I gotta tell you fasting is it's not a set of rules and how and and this is how you do it there is not a guideline again for it it's just time before the Lord you and God having that communion having fellowship with him nothing else nothing more he will speak to you and you to him so jesse take us away with a prayer 
Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. And friend, um, I would like to agree with you today in prayer that God will enable you to draw near to him through Christ Jesus daily and also that he will show you when and how you can best wait for him in expectation through fasting. Let's pray. Blessed Lord Jesus, our Savior and our Bridegroom, we love you so much. We love that you have not kept us alone, but rather you've given us your Holy Spirit so that we can continue to feast with you. And yet also we choose to fast with you to say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We know you're coming back and wow. we're ready for you. That's right. Thank you for this day and each day that you give us with you. And we also thank you for the day that you will return. In your holy name, amen. Well, friends, until next time, God bless you. Welcome again to another episode of Go West Young Man. I am your co-host, uh, Ricardo, along with Jesse. And Jesse, we just came out of uh, Christmas. We had a wonderful time. Uh, I didn't get anything, by the way, but that's okay. How was your Christmas? I had a wonderful Christmas, and I got all sorts of things, so... I don't know good for means. you exactly hey, yeah it's good for you but hey i'm glad and we hope that our listeners had a wonderful time yes and as well but now here we are in matthew 9 and as you remember all matthew 8 had to do with healing and redemption and we are keeping right along with that as jesus goes across into capernaum his own city by the way and right off the bat here comes four friends with his paralytic friend looking for something that they couldn't do. What do you think about that? I think it's fantastic. Um, again, it's an issue of faith. In the passage that we're going to talk about today, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, we see that Jesus' authority extends even to the ability to forgive sins. And that's what this story is really about. But it takes faith to believe that Jesus can heal our sins. Well, I guess, Jesse, uh, these four friends, along with the paralytic, are going to get more than they're bargained for. Absolutely. So let's read about it. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. So he got into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own city. Then, behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Well, wow. Um, we're talking about faith, and you were talking, and I thought it was funny, and hey, you know, forgive me, Jesse, about breaking and entering, about these guys going through the roof and actually breaking into the roof. Uh, to get his friend uh, to see Jesus. But 
that is what it takes sometimes. It, it takes an act of faith. And sometimes it's just not the person who's going to receive the healing, Jesse. But family or friends that can come and, and, and in an active way have that faith that when you come to Christ, you will receive what you're uh, praying for. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, first, I'd like to interject. When you talk about four friends and breaking and entering, this is really a uh, short synopsis of Mark chapter 2, which tells the story of four men that carried a paralytic man on a stretcher, um, were unable to get into a house where Jesus was teaching. That's so correct. So they climbed up on the roof, and they actually physically removed clay from the roof, lifted the towels, and dropped him down with ropes before Jesus. So if you're interested in reading that whole story, look in Mark chapter 2. You know, the obvious things that I can see here is that, Jesse, is that this paralytic were looking for healing. I mean, he couldn't walk, and that is the most obvious thing to be coming to Christ, to somewhat. Christ has something to give him, and he's going to walk out there, uh, maybe heal. But here's the twist here, you know. Uh, Christ tells him, do not be afraid, son. Your sins are forgiven. Whoa. Oh, that's the big one right there. I mean, he came, and now... As you remember the Old Testament, this guy now is getting forgiven. What do you say? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. That's something that uh, the scriptures in the Old Testament had for man to do. That is to offer up uh, bulls or uh, doves or lambs before God as a sacrifice uh, that God somehow might be appeased um look upon our sacrifice and heal us um, the far away picture of an angry God but here Jesus Emmanuel God with us is saying son be of good cheer for your sins are forgiven you and so we see that the scribes themselves said in their hearts this man blasphemes and you can imagine that if you'd grown up in the church and suddenly Jesus right. appeared before you and said hey it's all cool. I forgive you. <laughs> you you might be thinking, who in the world does this guy think he <laughs> That's is? Right. <laughs> is he the son of God? Yeah. And, and according to Jew, Jews, um, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. How can there be another God or even a son of God standing before us? That would be blasphemy for all that we believe. You know, sometimes in, in our own personal lives, we might think that that we have to go back to just like the scribes did to rituals and things like that in order to like Jesse was saying to appease God to 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 make us uh, in in a better right standing with Christ but the fact is that that's not so Christ is close to each other Christ Christ wants to come and have a relationship with you he's not that distant God that is out there um, looking be down to us and saying, well, there's, you, you got to do step one if you want me to draw closer to you. That's not the way it is. Christ comes to your life and he's ready, just like he did with the paralytic. It says, hey, do not be afraid. Your sins are forgiven. And then we go and, and, and we have the scribes and they start 
thinking or speaking within themselves. It says, well, how can you forget, forgive sins? It, it's not that easy, is it, Jesse? Mm-hmm. It is not that easy. You know, these days we have doctors that can heal many diseases with medicine. Uh, we have psychiatrists and psychologists that can heal or deal with many mental illnesses. But at root of all these diseases is spiritual sickness. And doctors, physicians, psychiatrists, psychologists, they don't know how to deal with the problem of sin, with spiritual sickness. Only God can do that. In fact, only the Son of God, Jesus, can do that. And that is for you today. If you're listening today, we want to tell you this. Christ wants to come into your heart. He wants to take away whichever burden you're dealing with. And we're not saying that you cannot go and, and see a doctor or perhaps see a counselor, psychologist, stuff like that. But what we're saying is that draw close to him. That sometimes, or for the most part, you don't need a third party. We can go straight to him. You know, uh, if we look at the scenario here is happening and, and Jesus is looking at the scribes and he goes and he tells them, which one you think is easier? To forgive sins or to tell somebody to get up and go? So if Christ was doing that back then, wouldn't you think that he would do that today, Jesse? Absolutely. You know, people are always amazed by the phenomenal, the supernatural, the extraordinary miracles, miracles. And so that the scribes might believe, that the people might believe, Jesus told the man to rise and walk. And Jesus does the same thing today. He touches us physically. He touches us mentally and heals our sicknesses and our diseases. But really, Jesus wants to show that he can go to our deepest spiritual need to heal us, that he cares about us, that he wants us to have eternal life, that we might live forever in him. And he does that by healing us physically that we might believe in him. You know, it was beautiful here, Jesse. And here is a man now that is forgiven. And something that he never thought he could get. Because really, it didn't apply during those times. That it was so, so easy to be forgiven. But now he's forgiven. And here comes the second part to that. And, and Jesus tells the paralytic, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And what Christ is telling us today is, well, we're already halfway there. If you are saved, if you know Christ is your Savior, we're halfway there. And if you know, if you don't know Christ, today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So the second part will come into place. And that is that he can tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go or in a way, and, and I'm going to stretch a little bit here, right here, Jesse. You can tell whatever is ailing you. Get up. Hit the road. Jesus is in my life. That's what's going to happen. What do you think about that? Well, you know what? I think that many people that are listening today believe that. But you know what? They've never actually invited Jesus to come into their life to forgive their sins, to heal them um, in body 
mind, and spirit, and they would like to do that right now. We have to be proactive in coming to Jesus, surrendering to him, making him Lord of our life, and then he'll do everything else. So right now, friend, I'd like for you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Yeah, I've sinned against you. I'm sick spiritually, maybe in body and in mind, and I need you to heal me and deliver me, set me free. In fact, make me a new creation in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my heart, that you're putting your spirit in me, cleansing me and giving me new hope in your... (laughs) 